Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. Today, I've got a very special interview episode with a friend of mine by the name of Molly.Noise. So that's going to be good. You listen to that in just a few moments. But first, just a couple of quick warnings. We do talk a little bit explicitly about sex and sex acts, but that's not that big a deal. But I figured I'd warn you anyway. And there's also a bit of uh, academic jargon that gets tossed around a bit, which is want to happen between two people like us having a conversation without a moderator. This is a really good, long conversation, in my opinion, especially if you're somebody who is a young artist trying to figure their shit out, and you're in constant self-doubt, and you think all your stuff is garbage. I think this episode will speak to you specifically. All right, I'm going to get out of your way and let you listen to this, and I'll be back at the end with my promotions. So I am here with musician and internet person uh, Molly.Noise. Hello. Hello, Sarah. Hi. I'm not sure why I said your name with a question mark, but there it is. That's <laughs> not in that's not in the official title, but it's it's I guess it's in my brain. I don't know. I don't know. There's a dot in my name. Having a question mark implied at the end wouldn't be too strange, would it? No, that's I think that's it, is that your name just sort of implies all sorts of punctuation. Yeah, it's written Molly.noise, but it's pronounced Molly.noise, fifteen semicolons and tarot bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh boy. Um gosh, dang it. Heck. God. Heck. <laughs> yeah, so just to get right into that, um mm-hmm. this is our second attempt at recording this podcast. The first time that we did this, we may have gone for a, a sprightly 3 hours and change. Oh my god. How how did we do such a thing? I I don't know. How could we have so much to talk about for three whole hours? Uh, sounds fake. I think we made that up. I think we're doing this for the first time. We're just saying that to imply there was a, a greater context to this. <laughs> what a what a what an Alex Jones level conspiracy! Oh, did, did, did someone say Alex Jones tears off my shirt? No. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so sad what happened to Bill Hicks. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, that is the the only yeah. Alex Jones conspiracy theory I, I care I care for is that one. Um, if you don't yeah. know, I'm talking about Google yeah. it, folks. It's a yes. fucking wild ride. No, I I like that a lot. Yeah. So my my uh, hesitation at oh boy, you uh, corrected me in the last episode, and this is something that I've been noticing quite a bit is that I use just the phrase oh boy as a sort of third person mm-hmm. indirect interrogative interrogative um sort of it's just like a mm. just just sort of like a thing that you say that is not in direction you you say man a lot and you're not referring yes. to me I, I believe it is a thing that I'm it is one of those things that I'm more sensitive to now than I will be in future, but it's it always grated on me in general when people use yes. like guys or man or whatever. I'm like, could you not, please? Thanks. Um, and like, you know, obviously retrospectively, it's very clear why it bothered the heck out of me then. Um, <laughs> um, oh, well, I, I suppose I have that little anecdote um, from work. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so you find this really funny. So, um, and I didn't. This this didn't come up last time, but it was a thing we discussed recently. Was that um, I was in work and this guy was talking to me about. Uh, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And he said, "Oh, you know, man, this or the other." I said, "Can you not call me man?" And his first step was, "Oh, I didn't mean." I didn't mean, you know, like to situate you as male. I meant just man in general. And then he stopped. He said, well, actually, 
and he caught himself. I didn't say anything. I wasn't even giving him a death stare, as I want to do. He kind of went, oh, no, I suppose it makes sense. You wouldn't want to be just generally called man. And then he hadn't quite finished that sentence and said, well, I shouldn't call any woman man. And I was like, bloody hell, you really got there by yourself really quickly. And this guy's a, this guy's a cishet white dude. Um, I think he's mar- getting married next year. My God. Anyway, he's younger than me. I was very foolish move, in my opinion. Don't. don't. <laughs> But what I was going to say was that, like, he kind of, like, kept tripping over himself to improve the conclusion. And he got to just don't use gender terms towards people in general who mightn't enjoy them being applied to them. And that was kind of nice because it was interesting that in his interacting with me as a trans woman, he was kind of like, oh, yeah, no woman wants to be called man or guy. Like, that's just a a thing he logically got to himself. So I like that. So I understand that it's not – I, I, on one hand, there's a you know there's a back and forth. On one hand, I understand people don't necessarily mean to situate people as man because they often say it to cis women as well and stuff. But it's still annoying and it's still really it's grating. And I especially find this you find this in lots of books where instead of saying them, they, or the the reader, the writer, the cook, it'll always say he. And you're like, could you fucking not, please? You know, the individual, <laughs> the degendered they, or whatever the, the whatever, what's the term I'm looking for here? Using they to specify a singular subject without specifying gender is historically been around for what, like three centuries? Just do that. Yeah. Just just do that. Presume a non-gendered being or a, a, an ambiguously gendered being unless asked to specify, you know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So that's why I'm, it's not something like, you, you know, you're not, you're not a monster for doing it. I, I just think it, it's particularly grating to me now at the moment. That's all. No, sure. And I'm glad that you pointed out to me uh, that first time, because it's one of those things that I it's just a tick of language mm. you don't that you just take for granted. It's kind of like this. It's the same way that people say, like, oh, dude, oh, heck, you know, mm. that sort of thing where uh, uh, or y- yeah, people will claim that dude is a gender free <laughs> yeah. uh, moniker for somebody and it's like well explicitly no it isn't mm-hmm. but it but it's also like it's harmless it's just that you you haven't really considered the implications there and mm-hmm. i guess for 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 cis women maybe it's not that much of an issue i can see it oh my sister hates that she's oh. she's she's um, in a semi-managerial position but she has snapped at people being really like silly with language and oh. said that like you may not really get it but to some people it's you know the the, the the kind of classical rejoinder i think this is from twitter is well how many dudes have you fucked then if it's such a general like you know gender neutral term and most <laughs> yeah. cishet guys do not like the idea of being asked because they immediately understand that that's not what it means but you no know, i think i won't, won't say my sister's name but like she's in this kind of like managerialish position and she has she's She's kind of said to people, you know, be aware of what she works with the public. I won't go into the sector, but it's kind of sensitive. So she's kind of said to people, could you please be careful what kind of language you use around people? It is it does. It does matter. It does affect people, you know. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because you could get people saying, oh, why are you so sensitive about language? I'm like, well, think about it for 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Why do you think I'm so sensitive about language? It's like, um, yeah, it, it, it kind of reminds me. And this is a bit of a jump but bear with me so uh, you're familiar with the terms master and slave that are used in computer science specifically you know like setting like oh this you know this this is the master controller these are the slaves like that kind of language is it, it's it was kind of seeming it seems kind of quasi distasteful in the 80s and at the moment a number of um 
like I mean, like client server is one way of like kind of avoiding that kind of thing. Oh, that's not exactly the same. It is interesting that there's been a lot of people kind of saying, can we stop using these kind of terms because they're kind of very loaded for people, and the pushback has been from people who literally have never been reminded of their like people who've never suffered a disadvantage in their life, so people who've never had a problem pushing back against people who genuinely find that kind of language slightly distasteful or, or unpleasant because it reminds them of a, like a historic injustice per- persecuted against people just like fucking them. Sometimes they're directly related to, and the pushback yeah. is always from people who are like, well, I've never thought that. And then to not immediately go, oh yeah, it's because I've never really related to that as a problem. Maybe I could just be more considerate. And instead going, no, it's not a problem. Um, it is amazing that people don't do those little extra steps. And to kind of bring it back to what I was saying, this guy in work, like just being able to immediately stampede forward to reaching a very sensible conclusion. It's like, yeah, if you can't do that, you're a fucking ass. Like you're either willfully ignorant or you're just being intellectually lazy. I cannot fathom somebody dying on the cross for the terminology of master and slave i i am trying to picture that argument like in a room with people where it's like hey can we change i get that this is deeply entrenched in the culture of uh like the, that it's, it's a technical term at this point mm-hmm. but it, it, it's too loaded we've got to change it because come on i can't I, I i kind of wish i could be in the room with a person saying no that's nonsense Master and slave is fine. Yeah, it's just they're just they, they're just terms <laughs> that have no other significance whatsoever. Yeah, they're you know? just words. Yeah, that, that that imply a specific relationship. Yeah. The between ki- two. <laughs> they're the kind of person though who'd say something to insult someone and then be like, "Oh, don't be so mad about it. It just means miserly." Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, being there and you know felt the need to slap someone. Um, no, but uh, like there's a number of um, tech publications. The Register is a good one. I I occasionally like dip into because it kind of gives a it's kind of like a pseudo tabloid but it actually does de- deal with kind of some interesting tech stuff it, it's interesting if you want to keep like generally appraised of stuff but my god the comment section would melt your face it's just horrid oh. but it's what I mean the, the way the whole thing masters I think is what's, what's quite funny for me is that the same people can kind of defending all manner of like you know kind of like deeply offensive speech that kind of conversation has been going on so long that you know, this is like this conversation goes back to when people would have said, "Oh, this is just political crackness," you know, <laughs> uh, you know, like this is just PC gone mad. And now they all call everyone snowflakes or whatever. And it's like you've been so old for so long, you know. <laughs> you've been like, it's like you know, I want to die on this hill of being inconsiderate to people because I have nothing else in my life that gives me joy. And it's like, fine, I don't know, like gardening anything there's nothing in life that would give you joy uh, you know I, I don't think it's hard to adjust your methods of speech to like a okay so this is the one i think is kind of interesting that like a number of people have kind of recently uh, the, we can kind of like discuss it kind of more in depth but like the thing that kind of gets me is a number of people have kind of recently pushed back against certain terms like you know that's insane that's uh it like like, this kind of stuff and you're like yeah it kind of stigmatizes mental health and stuff and my initial reaction for about a femtosecond was (laughs) femtosecond (laughs) fem anyway sorry my initial reaction was that's dumb how dare you police what i say and then i'm like ah you know what actually there's kind of a point to that um that you know these terms do have other meanings and you can probably substitute others out and i find it irksome that i'm being forced to change but that's kind of just what happens with life. Things change over time. And it is that whole thing of like, well, I didn't mean anything 
buy it. I'm like, yeah, but you know, you're not the only person who uses the language. So generally speaking, if you're in a group of people and a group of people kind of turn to you and go, wow, please don't say that. The correct response is not, well, I didn't mean anything by it. It's like, oh, okay. I see your point. (laughs) I'll carry on. You know, is it so big to change yourself? Is it so difficult? You know, I mean, is it... There is baked in this presumption that, like, you know, you know, if you always act as though like you know, everyone else is wrong, it's like, but you're not, you know, you're capable of being wrong and growing and changing as a person. And even if there, the the terms seemed innocent and were used kind of like in a non-negative fashion, like a long while ago. I mean, God, even my own childhood, people would say something's gay, and it, like to me, it was yeah. bad, and like. I think everyone understands why that's not a good thing, you know, but yet, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've had, what I mean to say is that like, I've accepted that I need to change certain patterns of speech and I'm trying. And I think that's yeah. all I can promise. And I will apologize when I've messed it up. Um, and yeah. Speaking of some of this, you know, psychiatric disorder, it is amazing that people would be like, oh, that's like derisive to people with, you know, these kind of issues. And it would be very easy to, for me to say, well, I actually have a mental illness and I don't think that, but that would be like the, I'd be like, yeah, well, you know, you're still bloody wrong. <laughs> Like, you know, pe- you know, you don't get to pe- – yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. what about free speech? I'm like, you know, you're not being told you can't say these things. You're being told that some people find it inconsiderate when you say them. Maybe don't. Yeah, no one's saying that you're, that you're going to go to jail if you, if you say, wow, this is insane. They're saying people are going to think you're a dick yeah. and not want to spend time with you. Yeah, you're not – you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The uh, that that particular vein of the sort of changing awareness of of mm-hmm. implications of language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been t- that one's been tough for me too because I have realized that th- th- those terms jump in a lot. Stuff like you know, oh, this is even just like oh, this is mad and like you know, Mad Hatter mm-hmm. sort of way, but. I, I refer to things as insane quite often. Yeah. Um, and so trying to, there are a bunch of other words I can't quite think of right now. Uh, but. Actually, the one I will say, and forgive me, I'm about to use a racial slur, but I wasn't aware it was one until about a year ago. And most people who live in my country don't realize it kind of is. Eskimo apparently is, uh, yes. and maybe yep, a racial yep. slur is too far, but what I mean to say is it's a term, it's what's a, an exo, what the hell is it when you, when a group have been named by someone outside them, I think you use this. It doesn't matter, but it, the thing is, it's a term I think the French settlers or French col- yes, colonial yes. types gave to yeah, yeah. a huge cluster of peoples, some of whom from very different tribal backgrounds. I actually don't know which which tribes are specifically being referred to, but I realize that most people in Ireland wouldn't even recognize that as being like a very dated and loaded term and would apparently be taken as kind of an insult to refer to someone by that but I, I didn't even realize that now again racial story yeah, is probably yeah. taking it too far but what i mean to say is like if you're corrected in your speech by someone is it so much to say oh heck i didn't know that was a problem won't do that anymore sorry about that like that's a that's just isn't that just being an adult yeah that's just that's just yeah um yeah uh, we, we have to move on but we have I, to move I, on I, I d- mm. yes but i i wanted to say one more thing is that when you're confronted with these, a lot of times there's this pushback from certain groups of people like, well, then I'll just never be able to say anything ever again, you know? And I've, I've found some challenge in my own life, of like finding replacement words mm-hmm. to fill in the gaps of my expression. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is that language is not set in stone mm. and 
there are more ways to express oneself than by using those words. Mm. And honestly, it's more fun to have to challenge yourself to be like, what is actually something that fits? Mm -hmm. Because when we have these like vague sort of agreed upon expressions, Mm -hmm. we just use them as shorthand as opposed to trying to find a more like accurate and interesting way of expressing ourselves. Mm -hmm. I don't know for, as with a lot of things for me, it just comes back to um, a failure of imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And laziness. Yeah. Yeah. There's more, there's more to everything, but yeah. So moving on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Moving on. Oh my God. How many minutes was that? Oh no, no, it's happening again, Sarah. I know. It is happening again. It's it is. It is um, happening again. Sorry, um Twin Peaks? No, no, no. Yes, yeah, 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 Twin yeah, Peaks. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. I actually wasn't sure. <laughs> I couldn't recall. Okay, so, so the actual thing that I uh-huh. uh, wanted to get into, um Marxian theory. No. Shouldn't uh, I have introduced <laughs> myself or are we done with that? Uh Hey, you know what? We're 16 minutes in. You can introduce yourself as much as you like. It was just really quickly. I just wanted to say that, yeah, so Molly Noise, uh, just Molly. Um, that's not my legal name, but that's the name, name really some of my stuff earned. Um, it, well, the first part is my legal name. I'm obviously not Mrs. Noise, but um, it's Ms. Noise. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so I'm a musician, theorist, and total bitch. No, um, no, I'm, you know, I'm. I suppose, yeah, my day job isn't musician, unfortunately. I work in, uh, let's say, fintech and call it there. But um, I hate it, but it pays the bills. I like electricity, and this is how I get electricity. But yeah, I'm primarily a musician. Um, And yeah, I suppose I do read a lot of theory, and that's, I don't know, God, how do you explain yourself in a couple of words? I don't know, I've been tech adjacent for years. I'm um, I th- yeah, I think I think video games are neat. <laughs> it's true. You do you do a lot of memes on Twitter. I I oh god, do I? Well, you certainly seem to have a a, a decent catalog of them. I do I do create memes. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I've really been enjoying doing recently is I've been watching films and I find like little snippets that I really like, and I'm just like cutting them out and throwing them onto Twitter. Like one of them was um oh, what was that film called? Possession. Um, yes, and you I just, showed me this. I one. just love that that image of um, oh god, what's screaming on the motorcycle. Yeah, just just like just roaring his head off on the motorcycle. I just <laughs> I was struck by the absolute hilarity of that image. Like in context, it all makes sense, and it's like really a weird kind of harrowing, terrifying moment. But abstract from context, it's just completely surreal. And I love it. So yeah, I suppose I am yeah. memeing a lot these days. Oh god, I've become what I'd most despise. <laughs> that's true um don't we all Mm. so you and i have talked a fair bit this last couple of weeks Mm -hmm. and over the course of these conversations there have been a number of uh revelations on my part about some of my own deeply self-destructive behavior that i hadn't diagnosed as such uh, I had thought it was just normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I'm certain I've brought this up on the podcast before. There's a Ben Fold song that I really like. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the song, but it has a, a line that's, um, uh, uh, I thought it was fine since fine is what I call it. Mm. The, um, and that line's always stuck with me. So I am somebody who uses irony and kind of self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm as a shield from, I guess, criticism is a way to put it. Yeah. You say the worst possible thing about yourself and your own art 
so no one else yeah. can get in first and say it because that is a self-defense mechanism so you cannot be vulnerable because being vulnerable to being praised and accepting legitimate praise is scary because it can be withdrawn yes. at future and the only reason I'm ever able to make these observations is because I just, that's how I am slash was. I, you know, I'm just coming out of that way of being. And we have a surprising amount in common for um, two trans women. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, God, who would have known? I mean, like, obviously, we're at the big international meetings. We talk about destroying the West and truth and yes. extending postmodernism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we actually have a lot in common in that regard. Yeah. And so one of the points of the postmodern agenda, mm-hmm. um, Besides destroying truth. I'm, I'm literally, I think as I've said this before, I'm literally, I've gone on my stack of books here, um, and which would annoy any lobster person, uh, Frederick Jameson's Postmodernism or the Cultural Logic of Late Capitalism. And as a good old-fashioned Marxist, I think postmodernism is mostly garbage. But um, it is funny. I just, sorry, just the whole like, oh yeah, postmodernism. I'm like, oh, we hate it more than you do, lobster man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So I guess I'll just talk about my own shit for a minute. Go for um, it. Yeah, so those of you who have listened to the podcast know that I'm somebody who occasionally makes um, content. Uh, you're listening to some of that content right this very moment. Uh, I don't know if you knew this. It's um, it's something that I've always I've always known that I wanted to be like a writer or a filmmaker or some kind of creative person. I knew I didn't want to be like a person behind a desk, sort of punching buttons. At the behest of, I don't know, Agent Smith from The Matrix. He's not the he's not the boss in that, but in this in this fanfic he is. So um <laughs> Jesus. So <laughs> Oh my god. I just realized you know those like tentacled robots in the Matrix? Yes. No, let's yeah, yeah, let's yeah, not continue that thought. You were saying. Okay, okay. <laughs> Okay. Let's let's yeah, not. So, yeah, there's yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. there's definitely fun there's too much. there. Oh, one hundred percent. But anyway, yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, my desire to sort of make things in this way is sort of the only thing that has kept me alive. I'm pretty sure because I, I as a person, have always sort of based my my interests and my likes around the people around me to fit in to try to be likable. And um, for whatever reason, my desire to create like watching movies and writing stories or at least like immersing myself in the stories that I was making, um, that never really fell prey to this sort of like social chameleon skin shedding where um, I would have friends who said, oh, this band is lame. And I had been secretly listening to that band. And I'm like, well, I guess I can't listen to them anymore. Or feel like I've always been somebody who's really sensitive to cultural pressure. Mm-hmm. So if anybody just in a group that I am around starts saying, you know, this movie's bad or this movie's great, I'm sort of inclined to fall along the same lines mm-hmm. unless I already have a strong opinion. As a result, now, you know, two and a half, two and some plus decades, almost three decades of this uh, horrible societal shaping i found myself looking across the history of my life and comparing it to the lives of a lot of people around me and realizing that i have like a million and one hobbies that i started and then abandoned because i felt some sort of two two sorts of pressures one of them is like a 
either an explicit or implicit judgment on the behalf of somebody somewhere for some reason Mm -hmm. that that thing is bad and it makes me a bad person for wanting to like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, me just, I just want everybody to like me. And the other pressure being, um, I was not perfect at it immediately (laughs) and I need my shit to be perfect. Therefore, there's no point in even trying. I'm wondering if you can relate to any of what I've just said. I mean, massively so, Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, so, like, there's a number of things. So, you know, when we... I think I think uh, I don't know if this is universal to, to transform. This is a thing that maybe just a, it just happens to a certain number of people. But, like, the idea that I would have stopped liking a thing, even though I actually did like a thing, because I felt someone else's criticism was so withering that I could no longer admit or say to someone I liked it definitely a thing I've experienced I haven't so much let my hobbies drift away as I often did things uh, in secret and like so some certain dirty things I did in secret for years were making electronic music for example um, mm. <laughs> um, scandalous I know and the first album I released uh, actually double check the dates here um, I think would have been oh my god when was it released yeah so I released my first album as myself January 5th this year um, actually, oh, yeah. there's an interesting. I actually wouldn't mind if I. So this is a kind of, a, 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 you know, if you're if you're even remotely inclined, you probably could have figured this out yourself. But the album is called Black Noise Machine, um, which sounds like really like you know I don't know edgy or cool or whatever. Um, but there's actually a very simple meaning to that. So you're familiar with white noise, right? Yes. And pink yeah. noise and all that. So these are colored noises, and they have a certain spectra and all that. Fine, grand. What is black right. noise? Black it's- noise is silence. So a machine that produces black noise. Imagine someone turning a crank on a machine and it's producing no noise. Well, it's broken. It's no longer functioning correctly. Um, but more precisely, I had, for a very long period of time, I had been working furiously. So imagine you're turning you're turning a handle and all these gears are moving furiously, but no sound is coming out. And I'd been working for years and years and years on music and I'd never released anything because it was never good enough. And the way to overcome this was, after speaking to a psychologist, and I started getting back... See, I'd, I'd put all this stuff up on SoundCloud and then I'd delete it out of shame because I'd be like, oh God, no one's listening to it. It's garbage. It's bad. But getting just putting my works in progress up on soundcloud as a way of allowing myself to be vulnerable to criticism and it also was really good because i could say well these are works in progress and then january 5th i released the album i said right i'm going to keep working on these things over and over again until they're destroyed and i'm never going to release them because i'd done that with a huge back catalog work i never released so just putting it out there was very much an, an exercise in saying right whatever criticism comes my way or whatever whatever attention or lack thereof it's fine I will just deal with that. Um, and that was a huge move. That was a huge shift for me. But the, the, the album title is literally referenced to the idea. And it's also called, it's it's literally numbered zero one because it's the first thing I've created that I don't feel ashamed for. I'm proud of it, including its imperfections and its failings. Like I go back and listen to some of the production. I'm like, mm, that could have been better here. I could have EQ'd that better. I'm like, but it's fine. Because ultimately, the this like desire to just like perfect something before you release it is is is, da- is dangerous it's destructive because all it means is you'll work on it forever you're going to keep yeah. going back to it. you're going to be um, i'm not making this comparison because i don't like the association of being either a racist a linguist or a brit but Jero Tolkien mm-hmm. no i'm kidding I, I have plenty i have many british friends and relatives oh god Jero Tolkien <laughs> kept going back and revising you know is it dwarfish or dwarvish and it's like yeah no one cares 
calm the fuck down, yeah. you know, like that's, go work that's on other things. Anybody, yeah. Yeah. That's not why anybody reads Lord of the Rings. Exactly. So the thing is the stuff, I think I said some number of musicians, look, you and I will notice, you know, the particular reverb delay, whatever on this particular thing, but like most people are not going to spot that they're going to, they're looking at the whole thing and do they like the whole thing or not? Um, so yeah, that was the, that feeling of like never being able to be, take pride in your work or abandoning stuff you worked on or anything. I, I definitely get that. Um, I was, like I had a lot of interests when I was a teenager and I like found that people in my friend group would deride them or would stop, you know, doing them. And I would just stop as well because I kind of felt, well, yeah. you know, I don't want to, you know, like the, the idea that there's some sort of natural progress rather than just some people fall into it and fall out of things. And the idea of like getting annoyed at yourself, not being good at stuff. Um, definitely. It, it, it may, it meant, um, I don't think get frustrated stuff. Actually, that was um, sometimes though being forced into a thing that you don't have a choice of not being good at, like makeup, <laughs> is definitely a thing that keeps you doing it. Um, and it's, yes. it's always just practice. God, it's always just practice. No, yeah, it's it's always practice. Being uh, being bad at something is the first step towards being kind of good at something. Yeah, but I remember feeling kind of wounded, um, and then like realizing retrospectively how silly that is when I'd be like. Like, I think it was someone just joked, oh, like anime as a mistake or something. I was like, oh, I really like anime. Don't say that that's mean. And then I was like, oh, they're just joking around. And I was like, why am I so vulnerable to that? And I think it's because I never really gave myself the opportunity to be kind of like vulnerable to that stuff. Or I was never really willing to say to someone, you know, I might respect your opinions on stuff, but I think you're full of shit in this regard. So I think you're wrong here. Um, and I was talking to someone recently and we were talking about how a number of people lost their fucking minds when Roger Ebert said video games weren't art and yes. the, so and I like in my opinion this is because most of these people are really used to the idea of deferring to an authority who says definitive things <laughs> yeah. and they, they're unable to resolve this issue of like there's a canonicity of respect that Ebert has afforded as a film uh, reviewer and that they couldn't get they couldn't square the idea it's like well you know he's just wrong in this regards don't lose sleep over it um, although ironically the very people same people who like deeply lose their shit over this are also the same people who don't like the idea of video games being interrogated as art and then like having to yeah. be subjected to like numerous different types of readings like Marxian readings feminist readings and so on and so forth um, so there's a kind of irony yeah. in that but I think it is that thing of like just being unable to take criticism um is a sign of kind of, I think, um, emotional or intellectual, you know, a lack of development in certain areas. And it's not a moral failing because you can grow from it. But I think trying to understand where it comes from is tricky because it, it's not, it doesn't come from the same place from everyone, obviously. I'm not saying you and I are equivalent to the man babies losing their shit over, I don't know, more black people in comics or something. Um, <laughs> you know, you can't change the race of someone. I'm like, you can though. I'm like, just, just count it. It's fine. It's fine. So it's fine. Yeah, just, just, it's just, 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 you know, just like calmly patting someone on the head. You know, it's like, it's fine. It's really okay. You don't need to lose your shit over this. Yeah. Sorry. It, it's, uh, no, 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 no. Tangents upon no, it's, tangents. It's, that's how it always is. Mm -hmm. it's, that's life. Uh, life is just a tangent. There's a sense that one does not feel entitled to their own interests. Absolutely. Or hobbies. And this is something, it all sort of comes together. So getting back to the, the, the irony and the self-deprecation, even on my Patreon now, mm -hmm. if you go and look at the front page of it, yeah. there's probably, I, I can't remember the exact wording anymore, but there's a lot of like, well, why the heck would I watch this stupid thing? Yeah. And I joke a lot about like, oh, it's a video on the internet, you know, who cares? Like, listen to my dumb words. And there's, there's, there's an expectation of, 
I guess, humbleness from creators. Nobody likes when somebody is like just really full of themselves and like, mm-hmm, look at my mm-hmm. art. My art is the best. Yeah, yeah. But the th- the thing is that we swing too far in the other direction from that, where we're demanding from people implicitly or explicitly that they hate themselves. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. self-destruction is a requisite for any sort of like public success. Otherwise you're a bastard. Yeah. yeah. We, we can't accept the idea that someone could have confidence in their own work or at least that's yeah. the perception. The thing for me that I've, I've started trying to realize is like, there's, there's obviously a middle ground. Like I don't want to jump, jump in now and say, I make the best videos and podcasts on the internet, which is a pointless thing that is improvable because that the supposition that, underlines either of those sentiments is fundamentally flawed well you certainly don't make the best podcast about german history that's true exactly yeah but is it the best podcast of all (laughs) you know but but what does that mean like yeah it's it's the same thing as now i'm getting now i'm doing the tangents it's the same thing as when somebody's like these are the best films of all time and it's always the same like six movies like yeah, but I prefer a lot of other movies. Like, well, these are the most important ones. Well, what the fuck does that mean yeah. anyway? Yeah. So, what I've what I've realized though is that you know I think it's kind of silly making videos on the internet, doing this podcast, and like, who cares what I think? I'm just some asshole. Like, who cares about my opinion on movies? I'm just somebody mm-hmm. who has spent years in film school studying about studying films and reading about films and writing about films and who has spent several years working in the Oklahoma film industry mm-hmm. and who has put hundreds of hours into writing and mm-hmm. editing mm-hmm. all of these videos. So you're just some random person doing this I'm shit. I'm just like, some asshole who's just getting mm-hmm. in front of a camera and throwing shit together. And it's like, no, I put a lot of work into this and I'm not just some person I, I do have some level of expertise mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. informing my my perspective. I'm coming from a place of like experience. I'm yeah. not. Uh, yeah, no. I, and it's like trying to trying to reach a point of honesty where I can accept that and like embrace it and be like, you know what? I'm actually pretty good at this. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't have to be the best to say that I'm pretty good at this. And that's the thing about like being a perfectionist is like it's either it has to be absolutely perfect, the best that there ever could be, mm-hmm. or it's garbage and you don't do it at all. Yeah, I think I think we we can't we we terminally kind of undercut ourselves as being like oh. Like I think I've said this before that like I'd meet people and I'd make a terrible first impression because people think that I'm like excessively uh, self-deprecating and then they realize that that's just me all the time. Now this was several years ago. I have changed in my approach to myself and it was really weird actually meeting my vocalist because she was like, oh, your music's great. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, <laughs> now I, I say my vocalist, we're hopefully going to be working together. Uh, it's, things are difficult because of time. I think I mentioned this before, but like it's very odd meeting someone who doesn't take you as just some asshole who somehow managed to trick people into liking the music online. They actually interact with you as though you're a legitimate artist and that's very curious like strangers have bought my album and i'm not really sure how to feel about that because i'm like but you know there's other music out there you're giving me money (laughs) um and it's a very odd feeling um 
to kind of to, to kind of run into but it's like oh okay no because people don't look at you and think like you know you're not getting ranked i mean like no one's thinking like, well molly's is good but it's not the same as i don't know you too oh, fuck you too <laughs> seriously fu- can we say fuck on this podcast fuck you too so much for so many reasons don't say fuck on my podcast okay this is a podcast for babies where we don't say fuck gotcha um but what i mean to say is people don't really rank music like that it's stuff no. i enjoy you know and if people enjoy your stuff they'll give you money for it sometimes and that's kind of nice and it's um it's really weird because you think of yourself often as like well i'm not really like this person or that person and while it's true that people might compare you to certain other um, i'm not going to say who i'm comparing you to mentally because i think they would be mean but people might compare you to other people who work in a similar field they don't regard you as being garbage by comparison you're just now yeah. part of a cluster of things they enjoy. And they're like, oh, there's Sarah. There's Sarah's released another video. Great. Sarah reminds me of X. And like, Sarah did a video that was similar to this other video. Um, and it's not yeah. that they're ranking, like, because in your own head, you always compare yourself to your presumed peers. Other people don't do that. They just see you as a group of people, all of whom produce stuff they love. And that's because, and, and the only reason I know, I the only reason I know that is because that's how I approach stuff too. You know, <laughs> like I was listening yeah. to, um, who was I was thinking about this recently? Like, um, I, I, I kind of this happened to me a few years ago. I started listening to a lot more musicians from Bandcamp. I am on Bandcamp, by the way. That's uh, well, actually, hang on, let me just plug this. Uh, MollyNoise.bandcamp.com, and I've got two albums up there, and there'll be a third soon. Um, but I was listening to a lot of musicians on Bandcamp, uh, and like Blank Mass recently, and Lorne and Trist to your ST, and these other kind of people recently. I've kind of started buying their stuff, and I really like them. And I was thinking to myself. God, I wonder how big they are, or like how many you know fans they have, or like where they're kind of situated. And I think you know things are obviously complicated. That like obviously stadium rock is over, and electronic musicians are in a much more precarious situation. Obviously the music industry's changed and all this kind of stuff. But I don't think of them as be- like I don't care if they have like thirty fans. What, who I'm one of. Um, yeah. Oh shit! Actually, a perfect example. Rook, um, also Rook and Nomi, also black dresses. Like I don't give a shit that they may only have like 200 listeners a month ago or like 10,000 fans. It doesn't really matter. I like their music. The the fact that they might have loads of the people who like them or not doesn't really matter. And then I was like, oh crap! That's how people think of me as well when I produce stuff. Shit! Yeah. That's really terrifying. <laughs> That I, I live like I mean part of me scare, is scared because I know obviously if you, in your case you live in people's favorites and subscriptions and YouTube but like my music lives on some people's hard drives and someone had said to me a while ago that whenever they were feeling really like like existentially sad like I mean like sorry not to get really dark but like super depressive they put on my album one I was like I'm sorry what it means that to you and I was like and like more people should, like more people should tell musicians or artists or creators like look your stuff really means a lot to me or I really enjoyed this even if it's just like temporary and I like like yeah look and I would have said only say to it means stuff no lie to me tell me music was great but like just <laughs> but just generally like the idea that I live in someone's head or I live on someone's hard drive or on someone's music player or someone's phone and there might be one of my tracks that's a go-to for someone is really scary and terrifying and i think it's really odd when you realize that you exist as part of a fabric of someone else's world in a very specific way you know yeah like they don't get to see like the totality of me is complicated and there's all these things to be understood but like the only way a lot of people will interact with me ideally if i get more and more popular over time fingers crossed and all that is that people will see this little corner of me and it's only the art the music that i produce and all that like deep insecurities and self-loathing and stuff well maybe it comes across in the music you know do people say oh these hi-hats were definitely arranged by someone who has deep self-loathing i don't know but um <laughs> i do yeah oh wow you know you know uh, music musical psychoanalysis there's a super specialized field but like 
it's interesting to think of yourself as just you are part of the fabric of someone else's life, that you're just part of a cluster of musicians that they love. Or in your case, Sarah, you're a cluster of YouTubers that they really like watching, you know? That kind yeah. of, that, that really, when I realized that, it really just kind of, I don't know, it kind of like knocked over some of the last vestigial traces of that, of that yeah. kind of self-doubt, you know? It's like, wow, I actually mean something to someone outside of being like a friend or a lover or a relative. To some other people, yeah. I'm just a and like big capitals here at musician. It's like, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, that's something that I've been dealing with a lot myself. I mean, with with the recent them subscriber numbers, success. right? Yeah, yeah. The sudden congrats. Um, yeah, thank you. The uh, just last night, mm-hmm. I got a patron that pushed me over two hundred and nineteen dollars, which has me twenty five cents over meeting my rent each oh, month so good which is like how the fuck what do you fu- what do you what do you people and that's the thing is that i'm like who the fuck has given me that much money i know, I know. for 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 my stupid crap you're like, so well, great though it's yes it is thank you <laughs> like like that's the thing like because you, your instant reaction is but i'm trash how could anyone like my garbage i'm useless yeah. and then you go wait who is it that made me think this about myself where did i pick up this attitude towards myself that i'm useless and rubbish and all this how have i I've been so filled with self-loathing and self-doubt and it is our socialization yeah yeah um uh, 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 I was going to say that, like, I think we discussed this previously, you know, when we were when we did our like three hour marathon, which I'm glad no one gets to hear because we went all over the place. But um, <laughs> we could this would be kind of a useful segue. And I know I'm sorry, I'm taking charge. I'm so bad at this. I'm so sorry. But we could talk no, about no, no. my theory of trans socialization. Uh, yeah, I think we mentioned this before. Now, again, theory is <laughs> hypothesis. Um, it was so it kind of leans into Berger and it leans into Lacan a bit because obviously I have to like validate my own ideas by referencing mostly dead white men. But um. <laughs> uh, it was this idea that, like, so John Berger in Ways of Seeing talks about how men are subjects, they just see themselves. So, uh, you know, they see themselves and that's it. And then women obviously tend to always perceive themselves as being seen and that shapes how they interact. And it's this whole thing that, like, women, they're very conscious of being seen all the time. And that one of the things I thought was really interesting is that, um, so Natalie Wynn, uh, who you've done a interesting kind of YouTube piece on, talked about how she suddenly felt that shift from being the observer to being the observed. And yes. to me, and, and that was why I'm always a little loath to universalize my trans experiences, because I was, I never felt like I was just the observer. I always felt like I was the observed. I think you said as well that you kind of felt that, like you always felt this kind of oh, yes. anxiety yes, yes, yes. of being in a public space that you were always being watched. And I don't mean like in a deeply paranoid conspiratorial way, but just in the sense of, okay, I am in public and therefore I am being, I, I am looking and I am, I, I might be being, I might be looking, but I'm also being looked at. And you tend to find yes. yourself monitoring your own actions and your presentation and your posture and all these kind of things. And that has definitely ramped up as I've like gone out and being like, I am very visibly non-passing trans woman. Now, I say that I've been mistaken for cis by very, very odd people. Um, but generally <laughs> speaking, I'm quite obviously trans. I don't really care too much that people know it. Um, th- th- being situated as a trans woman is not an issue for me. It's the attendant potential for you know, aggression, violence, derision, all that kind of stuff that potentially yeah. upsets me. What's been starkly interesting in Ireland for me, I, I live in uh, Ireland, I live in Dublin, so I've basically, like, you know, I've basically, you, you can find me now. Um, please don't find me and murder <laughs> me. I like being alive. Um, and I like to get to music. But anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I've mostly not been met with any of that. Mostly it's just an anxiety 
because in the online yeah. space especially, the few voices that are deeply and hardly transphobic amplify themselves. And it's often good to remember that while the online is an extension of the offline, um, certain voices are very good at amplifying themselves unnaturally. In the same way 4chan is able to load itself into, oh God, I shouldn't have mentioned them. Um, but you know, certain kind of groups are very good at amplifying certain like open polls to, uh, you know, yes. so like Hitler is all of a sudden fucking man of the year or some stupid shit like that. Um, because it's funny, apparently. It's, fu- it's funny in the most juvenile way. Uh, anyway, I won't go on. Um, Bodie McBoatface. Bodie McBoatface. Oh, well, no, that is actually quite good. No, no okay, anyway, anyway. So the thing about trans socialization is that, so Berger talks about the, the you know, the ways of seeing it. I was like, that's interesting that I've always seen myself as a subject. Um, and the other thing I noticed was like, does that mean that I always internalized myself as female because I always acted that way. And I did notice that like when I started like admitting to myself as trans and then actually started presenting female in the world and all that kind of stuff, like not a lot of my attitudes towards myself changed. I just kind of relaxed this kind of performance of masculinity. But I anyway, mean, um, what I was thinking about though was, and this I recently was reading um, an analysis of, because I was interested in reading analysis of um, Mulholland Drive. And there was two separate authors who had written a Lacanian psychoanalysis of this. And I, I've heard of Lacan before, and I've been I've tried to pick up and read, and I can't. It's it's ugh, it's too dense. But I really like this thing. And I fa- then found a, a, um, someone mentioned the, the mirror stage development. And I was like, this is curious. And I looked it up. And I'm not going to bore people. The Lacanians can scream at me when they hear this. But basically, you know, you see you know, a child sees themselves in the mirror and they begin to understand that that's me. Um, yes. And taking Berger and taking Lacan and putting this together, it's like, okay, so we see other people in the world and we understand that that's someone like me or that's someone unlike me. And I realized that in interacting with media and in viewing media, I always saw a woman and said, oh, that's me. But I didn't realize that until very recently. And like, obviously I've talked about like watching Terminator 2 and only recently, like, I think it was the beginning of my trans going, holy shit, Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor's the person I always identified with this. That's who I situated myself as in this narrative. You know what I mean? Like, if I centered yeah. someone, and I actually would, I, I would have thought for years that I was thinking, oh, well, Sarah Connor is actually the central character in the Terminator films. I don't think that's a particularly controversial point of view, but that's who I always centered my view on in those films. That's yeah. the person I'm watching and I'm linking to mentally. And I actually think in Terminator, you're supposed to link with John Connor, and I don't he was he was just another character in the sh- in the thing for me and that's the thing i've noticed a lot about my viewing of media has been that if i was to center my view upon a character it's often a woman and that may have influenced like that you know the way the final girl is usually the quintessential character in horror that may have been why i ended up consuming a lot of horror that's why i really like alien yeah. and aliens and you know what i mean like when i start sifting through all the media i enjoy i'm like there's a lot of woman-centric media here that's very interesting so anyway the thing about trans-socialization, yeah. the thing about the mirror stage, the thing about John Burgess where I was seeing is that, like, I think when I was looking out into the world, I always looked at women and saw myself in them. But I never really quite realized that. And one of the things that that meant was that when I was watching dramas or other things, I picked up on a lot of things. that are, women, The way women are supposed to socialize themselves is Burgess' thing about, like, always seeing themselves being seen. And that's the thing I kind of filled into myself with. Now, again, I'm loath to over-universalize this because I'm sure there's trans women who don't feel that. Maybe there's trans women who go out in public and not feel the, the feeling of being seen by the other, by an other, or don't feel like they're always watching themselves. But that's certainly something I experienced. Anyway, so that, that's my like in yeah. work in progress, like pseudo-Lacanian, not fully <laughs> developed uh, theory of kind of trans-socialization anyway. Yeah, I, uh, I certainly, my experience lines up with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I, I know today I'm... A, I, even even still i'm i'm deeply deeply aware of the position that i hold in uh, uh any given conversation mm-hmm. um and just aware of myself whenever i'm walking around and 
very specifically aware that people are probably looking at me and uh, thinking bad things about me, that sort of thing. It's terrible. It's awful. You just have to not occupy your mind with it because it's just too exhausting. It is, yeah. And there are some days it can, some days it can't. Mm-hmm. Some days it just mm-hmm. like, knocks me on my ass. But the, I think one thing that comes with that a little bit is this feeling of like, maybe you're so aware of yourself in the world that you feel like any surplus presence of yourself is an imposition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always apologize for basically anything. Anytime I send up until you like basically chastised me for it. Uh, anytime I'd send you a message or say anything remotely personal about myself, I'd be like, sorry, this is, I know this is dumb. I'm sorry. And you would stop and be like, who are you apologizing to? Mm-hmm. And this always stops me in my tracks because I realize I have no fucking clue. Yeah. Um, again, like not to universalize stuff, but like I noticed that when I would write emails in work to people outside my department, I'd be often like, oh, look, sorry to bother you. Oh, look, or I'm, I hope I'm not disturbing you or like, you know, you know please yeah. get back to me in your own time. It's not urgent, even if it kind of was. And I realized that simultaneously, one, I was always apologizing where I really didn't need to. And secondly, a lot of the women I work with write emails in a similar fashion. And it's like you're apologizing for simply existing because you don't have a right to exist or a right to take up space or a right to take up someone else's time. And that even goes, and like, yeah, there's a degree of politeness that goes into like bothering a stranger or like, approaching someone you don't really very well know sure but we even extend that to talk to people we like and care about and in my experience i've lost contact with friends because i've often said oh i don't want to bother them and now i'm like you dumb bitch they're your friends for a reason and it's yeah. almost like thinking oh well you know they're not re-. like you you would almost go to a way to like construct elegant lies as to why they actually pretend to like you even though like if you go through them for a second it makes no sense it's like oh well they're only friends with in my case my ex and then i'm like no they still talk to me after that oh well they only like me because i can do stuff for them or i'm a good cook or something like i don't know i'm pretty sure people don't just associate with people because they occasionally cook food for them or something you know and then we get right into it. it's like no they're your friends because they like you and accepting that is kind of scary because it means taking on a bit of ego. It means accepting some people actually like you as a person, which is paradoxically scary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it was a thing. And again, like I'm only able to ever really point out like these weird behaviors on yourself when I know I've done them, but it's like, wait, who the fuck am I apologizing for and to? Because I certainly am always interested to hear from you. I'm always interested in talking to you. So whenever you'd be like, oh, I'm sorry to bother you, I'm like, why? Or even like you're messaging me when I'm asleep. You're not waking me up. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously a 3 a.m. phone call would be a difficulty. But even then, like, if you were living in the same country and called me at 3 a.m. to discuss something, I would presume there's an importance to it. I would presume that you'd know not to call me at 3 a.m. unless it was important. And I'd be willing to take that call if you did. And that applies to most of my friends. I'd say to them, like, if it's ever urgent do call me. Don't not call me right. if you're having a crisis or something. I would much rather hearing from you at 3am and being groggy and being like, give me five minutes to you know, make coffee than, oh, I had a horrid weekend last weekend and it threw me for a few days and it was really awful and traumatic and I did something I regret now. And I'd be like, why the fuck didn't you reach out? You know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I know what you mean. Sorry. No, 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 no. Don't don't apologize. Oh, we were literally just talking about that. <laughs> it's fucking pernicious. Mm. It's it's everywhere. Mm. 
And that's the thing is that I've been paying attention to that and I'm realizing just how much I do that to myself. Mm-hmm. And it it goes, and I think this transitions well into the uh, final topic that I want us to sort of cover that's a little bit more personal mm-hmm. is I am at the point now where I'm finally starting to feel comfortable thinking about, I guess, dating is mm-hmm. a way to put it, <laughs> where it's historically not been great for me, mm-hmm. but a lot of that has had to do with my, I think, my relationship to myself and my 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 position not understanding like my own relationship with my body specifically yeah yeah and and since i've yeah since i've started hormones mm-hmm. that's changed dramatically and i feel i feel like a different person in a lot of ways yeah well you are yeah i guess that's true yeah um i think this was we we talked about this but like this was kind of my revelation i think in terms to sex and relationships and gender and all that I think expressing this is kind of important because it was certainly something that helped me understand myself better. So super quickly, I've always described myself as bisexual, more quickly pan. Uh, So I'm Mm -hmm. pan and poly. So basically, you know, anyone and anything over a certain age. Joking. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, no. Um, (laughs) I have standards for Christ's sake. Uh, No, no. In all seriousness, though, like, so I I would describe myself historically as bisexual and the limits of that term uh, reveal themselves. If I'm talking to a bunch of like people who aren't really, you know, up to date on the most recent terminology. That's how I'd say it. I'd say bi, but like more correctly in pan. But anyway, the thing that always struck me though was that I would find myself attracted to men, but I was always really repulsed, not repulsed, that's not the correct term. I was always really repelled by the idea of situating myself within a relationship that would situate me as male. And this is only recently I understood this, like within the last year and a half. I was like, okay, so I would be like, okay, so I'm attracted to women. Yeah, no problem there. Okay. You know, I have some hang-ups and issues, but we won't get into that. But I'm attracted to men, yeah. And then I'd be like, okay, but I can't envision myself with a man because uh, at the time I couldn't. Because I was like, but I'm not a gay man. And I couldn't imagine myself interacting with another man as another man. I was like, oh, that's really strange. And then, like, coming to terms of being trans, getting out to that, I'm like, oh, I'm the girl in this context. Oh, that makes everything <laughs> make fucking sense. Now I get this, you know? Yeah, and then, absolutely. And yes. then, like, once I'd figured that out, I was like, oh, this explains all that weird, awkward shit that went on during sex with women as well i'm like oh fuck okay okay that makes sense that like the there was like certain certain elements like foreplay for example um how explicit can i be here be as explicit as you choose so in the so if i'm performing like you know uh cunnilingus i like to be a cunning linguist that was never a problem perfectly fine giving pleasure to someone else is not an issue but like being on the receiving end i was always like slightly i don't know it was kind of slightly weirded out and stuff and like penetrative sex was kind of weird and it was it was the fact that i was taking on a role that i had the apparent function for but i didn't want to be doing and it was that thing of like situating myself within a role that i shouldn't be in but i thought i should be because you know heteronormativity cisnormativity like these aren't just weird terms academics come up with if you are apparently a cis male, there are certain presumed sex acts you engage in. When you realize yeah. you're not, you're like, oh, okay. And you then reanalyze what you do and don't want. And they may actually, so being a trans woman, obviously, you know, you're equipped physiologically a certain way. It has its disadvantages. Um, it has its advantages as well. <laughs> but you realize that, like, you can actually go back and reanalyze what, kind of, what, what sex means to you and how you engage in sex. And sex, obviously, goes beyond simple, like, you know, uh, like, I'm going to be really crude here, penis and vagina, you know, penetrative sex. Yeah. Like, that's, like, sex is... I think most people understand that sex goes beyond that and sex can actually encompass a whole lot of acts and, and 
things that we don't necessarily think of as sex are sexual and sex actually depends on the person discussing it it's like obviously the things that like making a sandwich is not sex um but like <laughs> so there's obviously things that are not sex because obviously if we stretch the definition too far um it becomes a problem much like uh, certain orifices oh that's too vulgar excuse me what i mean to say is that <laughs> the, the definition of what sex is 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 obviously somewhat dependent on the people engaging in it but obviously it can't go into the realms of absurdity like you know you know like you know dentistry isn't sex um oh hang on god i bet you there's someone i've just annoyed now like some hypothetical being it but, sure. i mean like obviously there's like there's any number of fetishes that you can you know what let's not go too far into this i don't want to start talking about like you know wait aren't all parasexualities sexualities is you know is something a fetish yeah, or is not just sexuality all, let's not go into yeah. like some deep philosophy nonsense here what i mean to say is that like when you start to actually think about where you situate yourself um as a person you know, in sex, you kind of begin to understand yourself better. So there is this thing like, oh, well, you know, being trans doesn't have anything to do with sex. Uh, strictly, that is true. Like, ultimately, you know, you redefine yourself. So, like, you might say, okay, so up to this point, like, for a lot of people, might might people say, oh, I thought I was... Um, so I know a I know a trans man who was like he never felt comfortable with the term lesbian for obvious reasons, and then like <laughs> retrospectively now that he's um he he's like oh I'm a man it's like but like he still sleeps with women he's like oh okay that's you know okay that makes things make sense to him in his head like that he had this weird discomfort about situating himself as a gay woman for obvious fucking reasons but he still was attracted to women he still is attracted to women but now he is in a context of being seen as heterosexual and he said what was interesting what really caused him to kind of snap for this well not snap but what kind of, kind, of, kind of caused this moment in his mind was he'd be talking to people and he'd be talking about his first girlfriend and to them that was just completely heterosexual and normal because they wouldn't necessarily know he passes quite well and so um I know what, when I say passes quite well, I mean generally people don't recognize them as being trans. I don't mean that there's a goodness to passing. I think that's an implied. Sure. But moving on. Um, so for me, it's interesting that like when you situate yourself as a certain gender, that means that you think of yourself differently in certain relationships, as do other people. So um, what was interesting for me was I finally was able to kind of accept and correctly correctly accept and correctly deal with my attraction to men by understanding how a trans woman if that makes sense now that sounds slightly dangerous because most people will be saying oh are you saying you transitioned to be okay with yourself because of deeply internalized homophobia and i'd say that is actually a thing that had occurred to me and would you believe that was the thing that probably stopped me transitioning for longer than for the, the yeah. longer than it should have because i was like oh you know like that had occurred to me that was a thing that i definitely had thought of um and i had to get rid of that to finally accept it but like my attraction to women hasn't changed at all my, sorry that's not true that's not true to say I, I never had a problem with being attracted to women but my attraction to women has now kind of like it, it, it's been recontextualized and it, it, it's it's changed but it, yeah. it, it was never a thing i had to accept and the reason i was always able to be attracted to women i think is because of heteronormativity the presumed heterosexuality of a cis person which i'm not um you know mm -hmm. so um yeah so sex and relationships and all that um i think but what i was going to say was that like most of my early relationships uh so i was, I was in a, a long-standing relationship which more or less worked except for in the purely like physical romantic sphere which is sad but i mean it's over now, but it's not just because I transitioned, but that's definitely part of it. But I would say a lot of my relationships were kind of fucking doomed from the start because the person – I didn't realize who I was dating. Not that they didn't know who they were dating, but I didn't know who I was dating them, and that's a problem, you know, because yes. of my yes. interactions with them. And, it, oh, my God, yeah. I've definitely been in a relationship where I've been told, well, you're basically one of the girls, which I thought was really funny now in retrospect. So, yeah, I think attendant to that is – 
my refusal, uh, even now to an extent to accept any kind of compliments or, um, a big issue Mm -hmm. going into relationships, of course, is I have a hard time imagining myself as someone that people could be attracted to. Mm -hmm. And, I, that that kind of gets back to the the humbleness thing where it's like, well, you shouldn't think too highly of yourself, you know, don't go parading mm-hmm. yourself around or whatever. But it's like, you know, if I think like I'm this ugly cretin that doesn't deserve love, then I'm not exactly in the best position to find a good relationship. Yeah. And I think there's there's certainly a tendency in my mind to be like, if I just found the right person who could fix me. Oh damn! And there's always like the the asterisk of there and like, but they're just as broken as I am, so I help fix them, and it's a mutual thing, mm-hmm. um, which is not. It's it doesn't it's still just as bad. It's just it's it's fucked up. I don't know. I was going to say actually, and this is the thing I really want to mention earlier, but I think one of the things about being complimented for being myself, uh, especially anything to do with physical appearance until very, very recently was like, I was aware at some level, um, very, very recently, like last last year, I was very aware of it in a very literal sense. But up to that point, I had kind of been subconsciously, I think, aware that I was carrying around this shell. I was wearing this armor. So any any, and I was definitely putting on much of a performance. So any compliments that related to parts of myself that I didn't really regard as being legitimate or real, that I knew were a performance, seemed really alienating. I was like, how can you be liking this? This is just a performance, you know? And so I think that there was this distance from myself, you know, that I, I related to my being in the world as this not me. And so yeah. it made it very hard to own anything that I did and stepping away like I mean like you know gender is a performance the the person who you are is a performance but there's more accurate performances of who you are there's more genuine performances the script there's the script you chose to perform and then there's the script you're performing because you're afraid people will kill you otherwise (laughs) you know not to put too much weight on it um I think as well though that yeah I mean like I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to find someone who understands you and can improve you um, and I mean, not to like slide oddly into complementarianism or anything, but like you can definitely find people who will make you a better person in the sense that they're, I don't know, they're not damaged in exactly the same way as you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I it's, it's certainly not, yeah, it's certainly not like, I mean, I would want somebody who makes me a better person. You don't want to end up with somebody who like, you're both finished people and it's like, all right, cool. We're just this. We're the American couple. Oh, God. Like, you want... Yeah, no, it's disgusting. It's terrible. I hate it. That's actually something that's coming up in my Anya's Ghost video. Sweet. But um, I think the thing is, is that I shouldn't generalize. I tend to mm-hmm. imagine relationships in this very idealized way, which it's idealized to be the most grim shit ever, where it's like too depressed... <laughs> Like damn, damn near suicidal people who just sort of find each other. I've written this short story a million times. I was going to say this just just sounds like like this just sounds like you know like French Marxian existentialist kind of stuff. <laughs> like you know like they met yeah. in Paris, both wanted to die, yes. but they wanted yeah, to yeah. exhaust the limits of understanding first or something. And it ends. <laughs> I know it ends with them both like holding hands, jumping off a bridge, and the last line is wait, and we don't know who spoke it. And it's like you know a three hundred page novel, which like 
you know, a million people have never read what claimed to in order to sound sophisticated. Sure, of course. And there was yeah. like once a production of it back in the twenties that was made in black yeah. and whiteness. You, you know what I mean? Like I can I can imagine this as a film. Yes, yeah. That's always been my attitude towards it. And it's like there's there's nothing wrong with the idea of wanting complexity in a relationship. And I am somebody who's been through a lot of shit mm. in any potential relationship I wind up in, there's going to be a lot of baggage that I will inevitably be be unpacking throughout. And I think at no point in anybody's life should they be under the expectation of uh, not having complications. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, a good relationship is a volatile one. You know, <laughs> arguments are not necessarily terrible as uh, long as they're coming... I, I- I would say I wouldn't say volatile or arguments are necessarily desirable or good. I would say though that the ability to disagree, no. the ability to disagree and the uh, the the ability to actually resolve disagreements. Yeah, that's more what I mean. Yeah, I, I presumed, but I just want to say that like volatility is a thing that would scare me the fuck out of a relationship. Yeah, but I guess yeah, I guess volatility implies a lot more chaos than meaning. Uh, by volatile, I'm more thinking of like you know dynamism or something. D- yeah, yeah, I think that's more accurate. The more that I try to justify the use of that word, the more I realize, like, nope, there's no context in which that's a good way to think of a relationship. Maybe that's some Freudian shit on my part. I don't know. It's fine. I don't. I don't mean to correct you. I. I am literally no, 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 asking no, 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 and no, clarifying because a- I want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding. And also, we yeah. can disagree. You know, like you can say, no, I, sure. I want relationship like, you know, again, like some sort of French novel where we throw vases at each other and accuse each other of being like bourgeois, you know, re, um, you know, uh, reactionaries or something. Yeah, there's a musical, there's mm-hmm. a musical called The Pirate with Judy Garland and um, uh, Gene Kelly. He cons her into liking her basically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by impersonating this famous figure and this is a classic musical setup where it's like oh it's she's gonna be in love anyway like oh you was the good person that you were on the inside that mattered but like 15 or like 30 minutes in when she realizes that he was lying Mm -hmm. she like she goes fucking nuts nice and and just like storms around the room and throws every single thing in the room at him i love it already it's it's the funniest scene in any movie because it just goes on forever and it's just Judy Garland screaming and throwing vases and like bookshelves. People just describe the uh, Citizen Kane scene where he uh, destroys his bedroom as like one of the best room destroying scenes ever. But mm-hmm. the pirate has my money. Um, anyway, yeah, no, that's not what I'm. Mm-hmm. That's certainly not what I'm after. Yeah, the point being that I think it's it's the hardest thing in the world to embrace that you have talent, mm-hmm. you have some kind of skill, you have an intuition that's worth following, um, that there are things about you as a person that other people might like, mm-hmm. that like your friends aren't just tolerating you. Yeah. I was gonna say I think we I think we all very much drank deep of the well of kind of and sorry yeah stairs and Marxian but I think we all <laughs> very deeply kind of drank drank deep of the well of um kind of like neoliberal kind of like hyper individualism where we have this kind of like inherent paradox on one hand um, we kind of say you know like like you know we're marketed to this idea of like you know you're all these like fa- you're all fabulous individuals you all should express yourselves you know uniquely and all this kind of stuff but the dark side of that is what they're really saying is buy the commodities that say who you really are as an individual and yeah. in recognizing that that's what really is being said we kind of see that what we're really 
being sold isn't individuality. We're being sold a number of pre-built individualities, you know? Like, you can choose from any one of these three different types of individual expression, and that's it, you know? And we kind of then yeah. end up in this kind of negative space of... Um, all the edgy boys who like Fight Club, which is a fantastic book and film, but mostly liked people who are garbage. You know, you know, you're, you know, you know, you're not some fabulous snowflake. You're the same decaying organic matter as everything else. And and it is that thing of like, I, I think we we kind of feel this thing of like, crap, I'm just some fucking disposable cog. You know, um, we we've yeah. internalized the sense that like we're not actually very unique or special. We're basically just garbage. We're all basically interchangeable. And I mean, especially anyone who's entered the job market knows you're very replaceable. You know, if you yeah. don't work to optimum efficiency uh, for this period of time, for this you know number of days per year, you'll just be gotten rid of because you can replace any number of people. Now, <laughs> that's not strictly true. Um, as one employer i won't mention discovered you can very quickly burn through in a capital of a country all number of people who are actually capable of doing the job and then <laughs> you no longer can recruit people because a people have told everyone else who's capable of doing the job never work for these people they're horrid scum and b the potential pool of people who can do the job is actually finite on a, long, on a short enough scale of time. Anyway, anyway, I think we, we kind of internalize that, that that kind of like contradictory stance. You know, I am a, I'm, an, I'm a complicated individual. There's no one else like me. I, I exist. I, I will only exist once in all, in all time. And therefore, you know, I should value myself. And then underneath that, I'm just the same asshole as everyone else. Like even you were saying earlier, like, oh, I'm just some asshole. I'm like, well, no, you're one very specific asshole, darling. You know, <laughs> like if you want to get like particular about it. Um, but I think that's the kind of the 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 razor edge of individualism the the kind of the 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 thing the 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 stated belief and the practiced belief of kind of you know um being an individual under neoliberal capitalism is is that kind of contradictory stance you know like that's irresolvable ultimately because you know we want to believe that no we really are individuals and you know, we really are valued and trusted and you know like the death of a single individual is a tragedy and then stalin says yes but the death of a mill is a statistic i don't tend to quote stalin i'm just using that as an example because ultimately when we get down to it you know, we, we have this culture and this society, you know, like, you know, international capitalism that says all these things about, like, the value of the individual. But it's also quite happy for you to starve to death. You know, it's quite happy for your electricity to be cut off and, you know, you to be assessed as, you know, capable of working just after having a stroke and be, you know, basically die because you try to get a bus in, you know, sub-zero temperatures. It's happy to do really horrible things to individuals. And then you go, crap, the individual isn't actually valued. But we have to simultaneously believe the thing that we know underneath all isn't actually believed. So I think that that causes a, that causes them a problem within us. That causes like a, a deep anxiety, which is irresolvable because when you – like because the, the actual worst the, – the, What's worse than not knowing that is knowing that. Because once you know yeah. that, you go, oh, crap, the stated belief of, of, of you know, our culture is untrue. IBM can take part in a trans pride or a queer or a gay pride march or LGBTQA, a, a, LGBTQAA plus march in, say, Dublin, for example. But they were very happy to build the machines of surveillance <laughs> for the American surveillance state, which is currently you know, reverting people's gender markers on their passports. They'll be very happy to build the accounting machines for the camps, we know, because they did it before. Because ultimately, yeah. there's a conflict in international capital between the supposed valuation of the person and the actual material reality of, well, next quarter, we want to make more money than last quarter. So there's a bunch of contracts for a number of surveillance states we're going to pick up. Are they murdering and torturing gay people? Yeah, so what? 
does that does that apparent contradiction cause any consternation or high levels of IBM? No, because profit is what being is what be, what's being pursued. And when you yeah. realise that, that's scary because that means the world's unjust, and that's actually kind of terrifying. Sorry, anyway, that got very dark. Um, but what I mean to say is that um, <laughs> we all kind of carry this contradiction around with us till we realise it, and it's actually scarier when realised and understood than when it's kind of just subtext. Um, so that's how we can you know, like actually do things like produce like important artistic work or even like not even important work that means something to someone, but also completely disavow and say, no, all I produce is garbage, you know, because, yeah. you yes. know, you live with that contradiction in you. I think trying to find some balance mm-hmm. of humble and practical mm-hmm. uh, and, and self-embracing in the last few months, I've been starting to reach out to friends and say, Hey, I really appreciate you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, that sort of thing. Just something I never did before. And every single time for a while, they're like, what is this? What do you, what do you want from me? What are you, what are you getting? What are you doing? Are you dying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's just sort of like, we don't, we don't affirm each other. Mm. And you think like, Oh, why do you, why do you need compliments? You're so self-obsessed. It's like, well, no, a person who's making things, why is it such a bad thing for somebody to say, Hey, this is good. And for you to think like, yeah, you know what? It kind of is. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy with this. And there's no cardinal sin in, in, in admitting that. I mean, I guess literally there is, but, <laughs> Part, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, since when, since when are we listening to the Bible? But um, it's tough learning to be okay with yourself. Yeah. And like, I think that that's been, Ultimately, like the biggest thing for me in the last couple of weeks and going forward is sort of accepting that my work has value and that mm-hmm. I have value. I guess value maybe isn't the best way to put it, That, but uh, it seems like I'm just constrained by the language that's available. Just roll with that. It is, yeah. it is weird, though, when a complete stranger tells you, oh, your stuff's good. And even more scary, when they give you money and you're like, how did I trick you into doing this? And there's only so many times you can say someone slip and hit the checkout button repeatedly yeah. and hasn't cancelled yeah. yet. There's only so many times you can say, well, this might be just some sort of weird con job or like someone's screwing with me. And then you have to <laughs> finally accept, no, a complete stranger encountered your stuff and went, oh, I want more of this. This was clever. I like her. I need to see more of this. Yeah. It's really weird, isn't that? It is. It's very weird. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess I guess the moral of this conversation mm-hmm. is... Down with capitalism? Well, no, but I mean that's the moral. That's the moral of everything. But generally speaking, the moral is more: tell your friends that you like them. Yeah. Tell yourself that you like you. Accept compliments. Yeah, I, I think it's like you know, being critical of your ideas is one thing, but being like needlessly critical of yourself isn't really endearing. It's actually upsetting. And I think I said this to you a while ago that like we we tend to kind of like be really you know like oh I produced some I I think I, when I first wrote the blurb for my album I think it was really negative and I just removed all the negativity and then it just became funny. Um, I'd been told um, I won't say whom but they kind of said to me like you know when we first met like I just thought you fucking I thought you were, like first of all they thought I was being like needlessly self-effacing and then they realized it was just my general way of being but i think they did say to me recently like i'm happier how you're talking about yourself because like you're no longer like constantly putting yourself down and like just being like really negative about yourself and that was just nice for them and i think we kind of go to like you know being humble is generally good and like oh i don't you know but like you know uh 
it's yeah. not useful to be constantly so overwhelmingly negative about yourself because that begin that begins to become very crushing. And I think it's because we, after a while, people get used to it and they no longer challenge it. And so you think, oh, people aren't challenging me on this, so it must be true. And it becomes really, really crushing to to our own yeah, self-worth. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I actually have a friend who I worked on um, a, a couple of films with. And mm-hmm. she's, she's somebody who's an incredibly talented filmmaker. Mm-hmm. But um, she's like painfully modest um, and, and self-deprecating. And... I remember being in class with her a number of times and um, she would, whenever we were presenting stuff, it would get honestly very frustrating when it would be like the the 15th time in a row where she's like, I don't have anything to say and I'm not very good at this and I'm sorry for being up here. And it's like every single person in this class, including the professor who has worked for decades in the industry, mm-hmm. has told you, wow, this is very good. No. I want more. And it's it. Yeah. It, it mm. just gets like it gets it gets annoying. Yeah. It gets fr- it gets frustrating because it's like you're just stabbing yourself in the chest for no reason. Like it's almost like you want to feel this way. Well, it, it is also that at a certain point people can get really annoyed at you um, because they yeah. think you're being like they, they, they think that this is they think it's a kind of false humility rather than like a, a deeply internalized self-loathing and self-criticism sure, that yeah. has gone like it, you know it's like it's like it, it is like though you have like this internal critic and like it's good to have them and i've started to actually have a genuine one now that i've kind of recovered from having one that was overactive and it says things like we could probably dial back the eq on this a bit or let's lay, let's lower the volume on everything and play around with the you know you mean it says you know like it, it's very credible things like you know what that pattern of hats doesn't work instead of saying you're shit this is garbage you're not actually a musician you've wasted your life and like it goes on and then it starts talking about how i wasted my life and i made a mistake and i should have transitioned earlier and you know you're ugly and it just you know it just like you know it starts off with the hi-hats are crap and it moves into everything and you know your haircut's bad and all this um and your friends don't actually like you but the thing is now it just says things like yeah those hi-hats need work and i go "Mm, yeah you're probably right and the thing is that if you have an overly developed self-criticism, you will stand up, even when people have said to you over and over again, your stuff's good, but you don't believe them. Because any yeah. compliment of your stuff is lying. It's people just being nice to you. You know, everyone's just being nice to you needlessly. And, you know, obviously, if you examine that too much, you'll realize it's garbage. But it has to be true. Because if you actually accepted that people are actually being nice to you, it makes you vulnerable. And it means yes. that maybe you're actually good. Maybe you can actually take some pride in your own work. But And then that siren goes off in your head, taking any pride in yourself is bad. Pride is evil. It's monstrous. I don't know exactly where it comes from, but it does feel like <laughs> there's just this generalized thing of I can never take any pride in my own work because that makes me some sort of like self-conceited monster. You know, I know I'm not the best musician ever, who ever lived. Like, so what? Like, you know, I'm definitely good. I definitely can improve. But the 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 improvement isn't like oh i need to improve before i release anything because i did that for years and honestly bloody hell i should have have been releasing stuff for years because even some of it maybe some of it wouldn't have been as good but could then someone could look back and be like well the first two albums aren't great but from the third one on they get really good you know i've heard that about musicians i've said like i mean again not to compare myself to them but like take someone like depeche mode the first album's fine i mean it's mainly the writing and stuff but like it's it's fine it's not great like they mature album two onwards and they get better and you can see shifts and like the writing style and stuff but like imagine they just kept working and working and working and working being like oh it's not finished it's not finished it's not finished it's like you'd get to the point where and this is a thing i've definitely experienced where you've 
grown beyond what you were working on, so you never actually put it out there. And you yeah. and you can just keep doing that for years, and it's dangerous. It's it's better, I think, to maybe risk some of your early stuff being not perfect than to never actually release anything and just keep refining your process. Because you'll end up even shifting tastes over time, and you'll no longer want to produce stuff in, in a certain mode or a certain style. And at that point, you have this corpus of work that's never actually been released to the public. And now you're never going to release it to the public because you no longer care for it. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah, you, absolutely. You, may, you said, I think... I think with your writing, this has been a thing you've experienced, or am I wrong in this case? Oh no, no. I mean, that's definitely um, with my writing. I, um, um, yeah. I, it's. I mean, it's true with my videos too. With kind of everything, mm-hmm. uh, the podcast manages to slip by because in my brain, it's like it's a pretty informal thing. Although I'm still very fairly perfectionist with it. I put I put a lot more time into editing these than I probably should. Mm. But, uh, um, but no, I mean the video that I'm working on right now about Anya's ghost, mm-hmm. I should have released it several weeks ago, but there are just like tiny little details that I get obsessive over. And yeah, um, I always take, I always take too long. And with my, with my, with my fiction writing mm-hmm. specifically, I tend to obsess over a story and plan it out and plot it out. And, um, you know, I write the first chapter and I think, well, this, this could be, this could be better. There are ideas that I want to be here that aren't there. So let me just rewrite this. And I just rewrite the first chapter over and over and over and over and over again. It's so self-destructive. Yeah. And you never get anywhere. And then, yeah, no, it's it's stuff. I haven't, I haven't really written anything in years. Uh I'm planning once the new year starts and I graduate to uh, finally start work on this. Yeah, no, um, I'll be fan- fantasy novel. I'll be doing this novella I mentioned to you in November, and my yeah. idea is to just write it. It's not going to be finished in November, but the the first full rough of it will be done, and then just edit it and probably try and get it released by January, and just be like, right, cool, yeah. it's done now, you know? Because yeah. it's a, I like the core idea, I like some of the core stuff in it, but. I have been hemming and hawing and dithering far too long on it and developing the ideas. And I'm full to the brim of, of stuff that needs to go into it. Like I've, I've loaded up conceptually on what needs to go into it. I just need to get it written and finished. And then I can step away from it. And, you know, maybe in a few years I'll be like, oh, don't read it. It's garbage. But like, yeah, at least it'll be finished for God's sakes. Because Something is better than nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I don't. I, I know, like, again, not comparing myself to, but like you can take someone like Kafka who died with like you know, all these like, kind of like loose notes and scripts and, and things unfinished. And like, you would hope that someone would go through your things and like mm. scavenge up the good stuff and throw it up and uh, like into a publisher and they'd publish it. But like, you know, it's worse. Someone's just going to buy your computer and like wipe the drive zero and that's it, you know, lost in time, tears in the rain, etc. Um, except it could have been, you know, I mean, like, I, I'm not think, I don't think that I'm going to produce something that will stand the test of a century, but I definitely could produce something that I think has something to say about the now that might be relevant to enough people that it matters. And even yeah. if the audience is exactly one person, I don't care. I, I know that sounds really fake that you look at that thing people say, but what they really mean is I want like, you know, fame, luxury, riches and so on. I mean, like ideally, yeah, I want some Hollywood <laughs> mogul to license it and to make a complete ma- butchery of it. But still pay me a lot of money if we just took development hell for ten years with me not to care. Like that'd be great. Um I don't care, you know, if if, if Coca-Cola are listening, I'll take their money to put my music on one of their ads, but I refuse the right to disparage them publicly, you know, and give the money to union organizers in the South America, or whatever. But what I mean to say is that like it's 
so easy to just put off actually finishing anything and just leaving yeah. all these like fragmented ruins and look again i mean sometimes you know you need to do so many sketches before you can really start drawing you need to write so much before yeah, you actually yeah. have enough that you actually what you're writing is worth reading but like my god i wish i'd been i wish i'd have enough just a little bit more confidence to actually start finishing and releasing things rather than forever refining and working on and then eventually discarding because i've exhausted the artistic potential of a work and i no longer feel the need to finish it yeah yeah Ugh. Ugh. it's tough well to close off i just want to do something that's potentially very uncomfortable but uh perhaps in in the on on theme for this episode um molly mm-hmm. you are a very good musician ah. And I, I really enjoy your work. It captures a very specific mood. Um, I've actually been listening to more of your SoundCloud lately. Uh-oh. And um, you actually do have a pretty wide range of things. I think you don't give yourself enough credit for that. <laughs> and um, you're, you're, really, you're really good at what you do. Jesus, and, thanks. And uh, you, des- you deserve to be successful. I really like your videos, and I've been going through them um and it's odd to see your shell um presenting things because that's very striking because i'm like who the hell is oh right yeah okay um (laughs) but i do like a lot of the stuff i do like a lot of your stuff and it's definitely interesting to see how rapidly you've kind of gotten better and better at producing videos like there is a really marked shift in like wow you really refined editing or you got so much better so so quickly and it's really really impressive and i really like your videos sarah well, thank you. Uh, thank you. Oh, God, we're doing a love-in. How delightful. <laughs> it's the most radical thing that could possibly happen in yeah. today's world. Yeah, like, you know, it's 2018. Like, cynicism and ironic distance are out. Be nice to your friends. Exactly. Well, Molly, where can people find you on this wonderful internet of ours? Okay, so on Twitter, I am Impure Noise, or I am Pure Noise. Uh, that's I-M-P-U-R-E-N-O-I-S-E. And my Bandcamp is just mollynoise.bandcamp.com. I think I have like an in- oh, yeah, I have an Instagram somewhere. I'm sure you can find me easily. And I have like uh, Facebook. No one can find... Don't, don't add me on Facebook. You're not getting out on Facebook. <laughs> But yeah, follow me on Twitter, um, where I rant about various things. But if you, I also have a SoundCloud. I don't. It's linked. It's linked on my Twitter. My SoundCloud's linked on my Twitter because I haven't paid for it, and I really should. But um, if you want to see my works in progress and my like soundtracky pieces, that they're definitely there. But like mostly, I'll put up, you know, this track version thirteen and like version one through five. A radically different version thirteen is like, what's the difference? I'm like, oh, do you not hear? I've added a, like a you know like a three percent wet phase to the hi hats. You can barely hear it. It's in the mix, but I noticed, you know. <laughs> Or it's like, yeah, there's like yeah. this bass has been tweaked slightly, you know, like I've, I've EQ'd this, that, the other. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, definitely um, I've got one album and one EP. Uh, so for some, for some, it's Black Noise Machine. Uh, second thing I worked on is a thing called Triptych, which is um, mostly, uh, it's I say noise music. It's mostly, it's built from samples. You know, just just go find me. I'm on Bandcamp. Go listen to it. If you don't, if you like it, buy it and pay for yeah. it so i will have electricity to keep working on these things that'd be yes. rad support the artist that you like yeah and, and like you know it's fine because i will then take that dollar or euro or ruble or whatever it is and i will then hand it to another artist and the dollars will just keep circulating and yeah. that's how the economics work folks or i might buy, I buy i might buy a pizza with it and i'll go to some horrible international consortium but like seriously give like you know like if you like my music please pay me because i like getting paid and it's it's validating it's- 
It is. Well, Molly, thank you so much for this wonderful little conversation of ours. We we aimed for an hour and we only went an hour and 40. I'd say we did well. It's progress. We have to we have to our last record. Hi, my name is Molly Noyes and tonight I'm speed running uh, uh, you know, the trans, 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 uh, Transquestioning podcast. Okay, no, okay, that, that's probably enough there. Anyway, Sarah, thank you for having me on and I may return in future under a different guise. Um, I'll, wear, I'll wear like a fake mustache or something. No one will be able to see uh, it. Nobody, no one, no one, well, no one will recognize you. Yeah, though. exactly, exactly. Wow, what a conversation that was, huh? So once again, you can find all of Molly's stuff in the description of this episode. Molly's a really cool person, and I'm glad we got to talk for this episode. She's actually working with me to make music for my next big video. And I'm just gonna go ahead and say that that music is pretty fucking phenomenal, so get hyped for that. Do the kids still say get hyped? Is this still 2011? Anyway, you can find links to all of her stuff in the description. As for me, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, etc., you can send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send me an anonymous question over at curiouscat.me slash hmsnofun. If you like my work and want to support me doing it, head on over to patreon.com slash ltas, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can enable me making these weird decisions that I'm making with my life. These valuable, important decisions that I am making because they are right for me and I am a good artist. I'm learning. I'm learning the lesson of this conversation. And as usual, all of that information can be found in the description of this episode. Lots of information down there this week. The music that you heard in this episode is by Insane in the Rain Music. The cover art is by Emily Bumgarner. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I will see you again in the near future with more of my voice in your ears with sounds of information words. Mm. Okay, bye.